Thank you all for tuning in to the AOT Construction Podcast. We've had some great feedback and response from our listeners. So again, if any of you have questions or topics you want us to discuss, please message us. I know in January, we're going to bring on some special guests as we discuss uh, healthy living and how technology is changing that in construction and design. But today on episode nine, our guest is JJ Levinsky. We brought him back and we have a discussion about GMP, guaranteed maximum price and cost plus. So stay tuned for that episode and discussion on the benefits for the contractor as well as the client. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast. I am Brad Levy, your host, and today I have JJ Levinsky with us again. Welcome, JJ. Uh, thank you. Nice to be here, Brad. <laughs> Great to have him again. And the reason we brought JJ on, as many of you guys know that uh, listen to our first podcast of JJ, super experienced in the building industry, uh, running a business, entrepreneurship, and today we want to dive in to pricing. You know, there's a lot of different ways to price a, a contract, whether it be commercial, residential, and then there's a lot of terms thrown out there. A lot of customers typically have the question, do we want a GMP, which is a guaranteed maximum price, and there's variations of that um, process, or a cost plus, like an open book. And commercial's very different than residential. We want to talk a little bit about the pros and cons for the client and the pros and cons for the contractor to both scenarios. So with that said, let's talk a little bit about cost plus. So. Uh, JJ, have you done any cost plus contracts, whether they be residential or commercial? Yes. So how is it that you guys are based in that cost plus scenario in, in your field? Well, typically, uh, much like probably what you do, it, it revolves around a conversation with the client or your customer of, is, is it appropriate in that, in that time frame? And what I mean by that is that in... If you have plenty of time to, to plan, then a cost plus probably isn't your best thing. So usually when we go into it, it's either um, without sounding condescending to the client, they don't know what they want. I mean, they absolutely have no clue what they want. So then you kind of, there's no way to give them a GMP. Um, or if it's a fast track or some sort of thing where they're willing to take the risk. But it really revolves around the communication of it. I don't know how you feel, but I just, I, I guess if I was to describe my issue with cost plus, uh, is that from an industry standard, I think it's a lazy man's way out. Uh, now, in a certain s situation, it does bode very well for the relationship between contractor and client. But a lot of times, when I see that we've cleaned up a job or come in behind a, uh, one of our peers that didn't do a good job, 95% of the time, it's a failed cost-plus contract that we're resurrecting. So talk about that. What is it that has led to that failure in a cost-plus? To me, it comes down to estimating and the, the definition and the explanation of the budget. So, And I think you're right because the hardest thing with the cost plus, especially as you, you alluded to this earlier, as you talked about they don't, the customer doesn't know what they want. So the issue with that is it's open-ended. So you may be picking budgets. You may not be having uh, every little item that goes in there. And so as the cost plus continues to grow, so does their cost. And it's an open-ended formula for the client. Right. So here, here's the, the bad part and the ugly part of our, of our business is that the barrier to entry is pretty low. So when, you know, if you and I were 15 years younger and we were coming in and we knew nothing about estimating, we had no track record of our experiences, it's easy to go cost plus because we can just maybe lower the fee, go in and go, hey, Bob and Mary, we can just do cost plus X percent. And it allows us to kind of get out of jail without having accountability. Yeah, because there's no database, there's no exactly. history, we don't have that experience. And so... We can almost uh, bait and switch a customer, if you will, by doing a cost plus. Now, can that still be successful? Absolutely. But the level 
and audacity of the communication uh, for the contractor to the client has to be spot on. Otherwise, we all know that if you wait two weeks, if you even sometimes wait two days to communicate a delta that has grown and not explain the how, why, what of it, you are doomed in your relationship with the client. So as much as it is the easy way out, to me, you actually spend more energy over communicating the why and the how and the what to validate why that thing grew. Even if it is the owner's um, discretion, prudence, responsibility, call it what you want, they don't want to be accountable when they're accountable. Absolutely. Uh, and and so, sometimes they don't feel that they should pay for things that go into cost plus. Like right. I'll give an example. I know in, in projects past, you know, when you're doing a GMP, so for those of you that are listening, that's a guaranteed maximum price. So if we're saying the drywall on your home is $50,000, it's going to be $50,000. We're committing to that. If there's a bus there or an incidental, like we cover that, we're taking the risk as a contractor. Whereas, as you alluded to earlier, is that when it's a cost plus, the owner has the risk. So if we're putting in there 50000 for drywall and there's bumps and bruises from tool belts and incidentals and cabinets that don't fit properly, the, the homeowner's not paying for that. And a lot of homeowners will say, well, why am I responsible, right? Well, in any construction project, there's a little nuances that go into building. Yep. Not everything's going to be perfect. And so there are incidentals. There are things that don't flow exactly per plan. And as a GMP, the contractor's covering that and taking the risk and then the cost plus the homeowner is. In, con- in commercial, I'm sure it's similar, right? I mean, yeah. you've had experiences where, um, you know, things are outlined and there's incidentals that come up. Right. So with, with that said, we talk about, uh, you know, the customer doesn't know what they want. So in any project, whether it be cost plus or GMP, as we've spoken about, the best scenario is always when we can have a defined scope, defined set of work from the beginning. So how have you done that with your customers to help teach them the importance of making all the decisions up front because a lot of homeowners say or commercial contractors you know owners want to say let's get started i want to get started i want to see things moving so how do you set that expectation well let's let's break it down into two buckets first of all Uh, let's eliminate one the one is where owner goes to architect engineer and they've spent a year designing it and then it goes out to bid or gets out to a negotiation where then we have let's call it a 90 percent plan and spec where we can really define it. That isn't what we're talking about here because that you can almost do a guaranteed max price because you have enough information. So I think we all agree on that. And that's the same in the residential market. However, in today's day and age with time and everything that's out there, it's faster, cheaper, better. Okay. So in regard to that, when we're looking at more of the, how can you do it faster, uh, whether it's design build or design assist or however it looks in that capacity when we're working with the, the three-legged stool as, as I'm sure you call it as well where we're helping the architect engineer and the owner and we're the we're not just the contractor we're truly their advocate the construction the manager yeah mm-hmm. we're the consultant where we're bridging the design to the budget I think the best analogy or example I can give is um, back to your industry is taking cues from when I was heavily involved in that allowances and then I'll transpose it over into the commercial market as well but to give a great example is appliances how many times do we put together uh, a budget for a house or remodel or anything in that capacity and we have no idea what those appliances are going to be now we put in an allowance in my younger days it would be all right it's 20 grand and it would just be there as an allowance then I learned by trying to qualify and quantify it and saying all right owner 
here, it's 20,000, but the basis behind my speculation was I did a GE monogram X, I did a Wolf XYZ for this, I did you know the Bosch for this, I did the Binford 2000 for this. Now, what did I just do? I qualified that allowance. Now, was I correct? Doesn't matter. At least I've qualified it and put a baseline to the perception of that owner to now base their their budget based on the allowance that I gave them. So now it took away that ambiguity and at least defi helped define where can we work with the delta between their expectations and what their budget can sustain. And once I bridged that in my career, the whole allowance and dealing with that kind of thing became a lot easier to deal with a customer. I don't know how you feel about that. Um, Which is dead on. I think you've you've hit it on the head for for, for the contractor listening and the and the client as well. Because what happens is any unqualified person is just doing allowance. Hey, we'll give you you know twenty five grand for flooring, uh, ten grand for mud work, you know uh, vertical tile, and you know twenty thousand dollars for appliances. But what is that basis? You know homeowners don't understand the cost, and if the contractor doesn't doesn't understand that, there's a lot of ambiguity, right? So what you've done is qualified it. So as you become more experienced and knowledgeable, one thing to do. Let's take wood flooring, okay? We have 2,000 square foot of wood flooring. So we're going to give you an allowance of $22,000. That's $11 a square foot. So that'll give us, you know, $350 a foot for install, which means now you can pick product uh, at $750 a foot. So now in your mind, you're qualifying. Hey, as long as you go and you pick something at $750 a foot, you're golden. You're within budget, right? You're giving some, you know, but if you want a Chevron pattern and you want, <laughs> you know, that might change our labor from $350 to $450 or whatever it may be. So there's some qualifiers there. With appliances, the same thing. I'm going to give you an allowance of $25,000, and that's going to include a six-foot, you know, sub-zero. It's going to include the wolf range and the hood and or the hood liner. I mean, so you're qualifying. You're giving them a scope that's it's not just a dart that's thrown out there. It's actually a target number. Right. And I think for any client listening, you should really vet that out when you're giving an allowance. Well, what does that allowance include? What's my material? What's my labor? So you have a good basis. So as far as the communication goes with that element, um, how are you doing that in commercial? Because in commercial, not everything's selected, or is it? No, no, it, it's much the same story, just a different application. Again, it's just education. However, in the commercial market, it's not as emotional uh, because m most commercial clients, you're building a facility, I call it facilities-based solutions. The building, the horizontal work, whatever, is to fac facilitate something that they're gonna do primarily for revenue stream, whether it's for-profit or non-profit nonprofit, there's still a revenue stream that you're helping create for something. So they're a little more uh, less emotional about it and more pragmatic as far as listening to a good, better, best, or how does this affect their pro forma. It becomes more business-centric than it does emotional. So it's easier to sell. I think the other thing is typically we frame it with a contingency. And I know you do that in the residential market as well. But we're very systematic in explaining how the contingency is their budget, not ours, the general contractors. So in essence, your debits and credits, uh, Bob and Mary, This, in this t case, they're the, the business owner, not the homeowner. Each time you, you follow our lead in this, we're taking those debits and credits to your contingency. At the end of the project, that is your money to save. So we, in the commercial market, at least the way we structure our business, we keep that contingency separate from the overall financing and anything that we do on our fees. Um, if that makes sense. Now we still have to, how do I, from a legal standpoint, we still have to pay our tax liability on any of those things. But typically, we go in and guarantee our fee, irrespective of of the contingency amount. Now it's built into the formula somehow, but we don't 
belabor it because let's go back to the cost plus mm-hmm. and, and the mindset of every owner. And I'm, now I'm holding up my hands as parentheses right now. Hey, honey, um, you're, and Brad, you're the contractor now. Do you know what? Um, that cost plus deal, if we change the lighting package by 5,000, Brad makes another X percent off of that 5,000. So um, we don't want to do it because he's actually making more money. So again, our industry has got to become better at communicating that and educating the, the customer that, again, to each his own on how they, and her own on how they run their business. But I, t- I strip that away before we ever start a project. Very clear with our clients of these will not impact our fee. Okay, our fee is based on X, this is Y. Now, the reason we're putting it there is because there's too many unknowns and we have to manage that together. That's why we're here. We're not just your GC, we're your advocate to help you manage what is in that contingency. And if we give it all back to you, that's great too. But if we use it all and you still get everything you want to, again, effectuate your revenue stream, the desires you have for that building, whatever makes you happy, then we both won. Either case, we've won, but the communication and the accountability of the, those mutual funds is paramount to having a successful project. I can't imagine it's any different in the residential. No, that's you bring up some uh, some incredible points there, and some that I want to touch on because whenever you have a contingency, so are you guys? Before I get into a couple elements of okay. what you just proposed, are you guys doing a builder contingency as well on a cost plus or strictly owner contingency? Uh, br- so, so is it? So, as far as a contingency, are yeah. you putting anything in there for overages? But on a cost plus, you wouldn't, right? So, the contingency is really for the owner, as because they're taking the risk. So, anything whether the but, price increases, yeah, material yeah. increases, changes that they're doing. No, even that's a great question. When I do cost plus, I still will do almost a cost plus with a GMP. Now it might be hyperinflated, but I still do do a budget that they have to sign off on in some capacity. Um, you just. To run blind on a, a cost plus, I I just think that's a, d- a recipe for disaster. You have to put some parameters, even for the uber wealthy, it'll just get out of control. Because you could be like the Chargers and Ram Stadium that was budget <laughs> two and a half billion, yeah. now it's five billion, right? Yeah, which is a big problem. I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I, again, I I think I've I have enough battle scars in being in the industry where when I was younger I was afraid to have those those, those candid conversations, yeah. and even with your best intentions. It, it ends up as a failure. So why not just have that? Hey, Bob and Mary, you know, we're putting an X amount of contingency, even though this is a cost plus, and this is why. Again, qualify and quantify the why. And then they'll be much more open and it just becomes a more amiable uh, process as you go through it because there are going to be those tough ones. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you brought up some points I want to touch on. So you had talked about with the contingency that there's fees built in. So if the homeowner upgrades a certain thing, you know, th- there may not be a nickel dime scenario, Correct. right? But th- there are, again, there's levels to this, right? And this is where it's important for the contractor and the client to understand these levels. So for example, if you're doing uh, a commercial project, what we've done and the homeowner says, hey, I want to go from this can light to this can light. Well, you know what? Even though that can lights, you know, $20 more per can light and trim, and you're doing a hundred of them, you know, we don't really need to charge a fee because the labor's there. It's not going to be damaged. It's pretty, you know, it's a no-brainer. So that's a straight line. But there are cases where we sit down with our customer and say, okay, you know, if you're going from uh, a tile flooring in the kitchen and now you're going to this super sensitive wood flooring, well, in that case, even though the price of materials three times as much, we will charge a fee. And a lot of homeowners are like, well, why? It's, you know, I'm just upgrading this line. And you have to explain to them, well, now my risk isn't 
is increased, right? I have to not only stage that material, you know, I have to have it um, acclimated to the house. And when I install it now, I got appliance guys coming through. So now they're gonna drag that range across my floor and they're gonna damage that floor and you know, for the scratches and so there's the insurance. Just like we buy insurance for anything, vehicle, home, whatever it may be, you're almost in essence having insurance on that upgraded product because if there's damage to it, I'm responsible. Right. And so as my risk is increased, so there must be fees that are associated with the repair, replacement, and overhead. Uh, same thing to light fixture. You know, we may have a homeowner that has a ceiling fan and they say, I want to upgrade to the chandelier with 5,000 crystals. Well, you know, that does change because our labor changes now. So there is a little bit more hands-on. So we're, you hit the nail on the head, though. It's all about communication. It's really important for the contractor to understand their exposure and the client to understand the cause and effect of every decision because some elements can be upgraded without a fee or, you know, reasonable substitution. And some you may have to charge that fee right. on. So, you know, going to GMP, you've had experience with GMP. So let's touch on that. What is, let, let's help everyone understand what that GMP defines. In our world, it, it defines everything that's in the scope. And we haven't touched on scope yet. So let's talk about that because <laughs> before we get into GMP, for that to be successful, because I know a lot of contractors reach out to me and they're reluctant to do a GMP and they never have. And the reason they haven't is because that that yep. exact comment you made is that they don't have a defined scope. And so for you to be successful as a contractor or for you as a client to decipher GCs as you're going through that bidding process, you need to understand the scope and make sure it's included. Right. So what I do, let's take it back even one step further. When we do an estimate or any or any estimating exercise, you have to write a scope that, that matches that. And even back to our appliance example, if you have let's say it's 80% defined and 20% undefined. As you're putting that estimate together and that scope, just write a narrative, and they could be bullet points, it can be anything. For instance, you brought up the thing about the, the tile in the, in the house. I'll use commercial, for example. It will be you know, 5,000 square feet of VCT, and then it'll be uh, 3,500 line, 3, lineal feet of, of cove base, base whatever, and yeah. things like that. And then we get to those 20% undefined things. Again, define it in the narrative that matches that estimate. Then I have no problem going with the GMP, because then if they go over, then we're back to the traditional change order. Again, the communication being paramount that you have got to tell that owner if you want a GMP, that's fine, but you better set aside a contingency because you will make changes. It's not, it's not a maybe, it's a known. Uh, the, the, we, the math proves it. There's enough data out there that no project in the history of time has ever stayed 100% in the original scope. And, but it, we're just human beings. It, it, it's inevitable that it's going to change. Well, and plans to paper, too. Yeah. I mean, the minute you take some paper vertical and people see it and walk in and feel it, right. they're mentality, their decision-making changes a little bit. I mean, to your point, we had a customer who said, Brad, I will not do change orders. I was adamant there will be no change orders on this project, which I was fine with. And, you know, we were very defined in our scope and our planning of eight months of consultation leading up to the project, and we're at change order 38 now. So <laughs> it goes to show that, and it wasn't that there's anything wrong. I mean, as things were going vertical and as he started seeing finishes, right, there's little changes they want to make. It's just part of the process. But... Now again, I, I'm I'm playing the devil's advocate here <clears throat> on your behalf. Is if you've effectively communicated that, I guarantee you, if you're at 38 right now, then you've done something right. Because if they were that adamant to to be steadfast on there's no oh, change orders, super angry. exactly. <laughs> so if they're on 38, you've done something right. 
Either you've done a, a very good job of communicating it, you've been very transparent, you've been very fair. Maybe it's check all those boxes. For sure. But for those people listening, you this isn't do or die. It's just be, just be communicative, just, just be communicative yeah. and, and it'll work out. And Spell be, it out. And be and honest. Just show them, yeah. yeah. You know, just show them and make sure you're very clear when you're going in saying, hey, I've priced this spec. Mm. I've priced this spec. Here it is. Here's the physical sample. You know, so they see it. And then when it goes in, they may say, you know, I want, you know, my ceiling lights here. I want to do this ceiling design. I want my fireplace to be loaded here. I mean, there's little changes that happen. And that's basis that they, they feel in touch. Let's take a tangent for a minute because we've been talking about what I call the hard costs mostly in this conversation so far. So in other words, tile, wood, brick, let's call it the bricks and stick, you know, sticks, the, and, bricks, sticks yeah. and bricks, bricks and mortar, call it what you want. I think the travesty out there and why there's some judgment and scorn in our industry is that the, the soft costs are not disclosed and communicated enough. I think we're all guilty. Um, I think some of us do it a lot better than others as we've matured, but I still think overall, the industry is kind of inept at, at communicating that. And so what, what does that mean? That means what are the design costs? What are the dumpster costs? What are the temporary toilets? What are the cleaning costs? And then on the what I call the bottom line, what are your insurances? What are your bonding? What are your subguard insurance? Now, these are things that might be commercial only, but all those things add up. And then being very deliberative about explaining how the sales tax applies to each and every property because it's not... Um, and that varies by state, oh, too. It varies by, by city. By, city, yeah. by uh, you know, local unit gov- the government, as we call it. Um, and if you're not careful about it, it can be a, a rather large hiccup. Yeah. So I take extra time in explaining and communicating those. Um, I'm proud that we do 100% uh, transparency in all of them because I think that's where we make a difference to our, our customers is we don't play the games. Uh, and again, that's just our little sales pitch. But for so me, so how does that work with the dumpster? If you go on a project and you tell a client, whether it be Cost Plus or GMP, okay, yep. I'm putting in, you know, ten thousand dollar allowance. We're going to have, you know, five hundred dollars a bin, twenty bins, roughly right. for the year of the project. Right. Well, if that comes in under budget, that's pretty easy because there's a credit there. They don't spend it, they don't use it. That's fine. But when they go over that, let's say you miss by ten dumpsters. Has that, you know, how do you handle again that communication with the client? Well, if it was the GMP and it was a blatant miss on us, then we eat it. Um, if if it's they added three months and they're and of added work and it resulted in, then it goes in, uh, either we pull that out of the contingency that we agreed on, or it's a legitimate change order. So t- to me, those things are pretty easy to manage. But again, that's why I'm so um, passionate and deliberate about explaining the soft costs and the hard costs. Uh, because then there's no uncertainty with that owner once they sign up with us, in, in the, at least in the commercial aspect. I just, I just think that I don't understand why everyone has to be so secretive about soft costs. Yeah. Um, I make the same amount of margin whether I disclose it or not. So yeah. I, and I think that's the misnomer, right? I don't want to say to plague our industry, but one of the issues is uh, from a client side, whether it be open book or whether it be even GMP. GMP yeah. It doesn't matter. The no. contractors. Typically, in almost all cases, at least project history shows that, that it's going to be the same net at the end of the day. The contract is still going to make the same amount. It's just prepared differently, right? And so, you know, we, in our industry, it is a little bit different and more challenging because we're showing everything. You know, when we go buy a TV from Costco or a Snickers bar, you know, I don't know what they paid in shipping. I don't know what they paid in taxes and every little element that goes into it. Whereas in our industry, we're having to disclose everything and it becomes cumbersome for the client. Um, but the point you made, going back to that, is that, you know, 
on a cost plus scenario, we're probably the same where we'll sit down with the client and say, okay, we're going to charge X dollars a month for overhead supervision. This is our general labor. This is our superintendent, right? Some yeah. of our soft costs. In addition, we're going to do a cost plus on top of that, and that's the overhead to our company to stay in business, right. keep our doors open, right? We all have to we, stay in business. You have rent, you have copiers, yeah. you have personnel, Plans, you have legal you fees, have you have all those, yeah. All the things it takes to run a company, just like any company, marketing, I mean, every company has all these things to stay yeah. in business. So that is just more transparent. And, you know, from a soft cost side, again, it's all itemized out. Dumpsters, you know, um, uh, floor protection, right? As we're protecting floors and cabinetry. I mean, all that's spelled out. And or some, look at your your site fencing that I know you do yeah, on all your videos. Site fencing on every yeah. project. The signage, all mm -hmm. those little things that add up. Yeah. Sweeping the streets when track out doesn't work after rain. You know, explain the unknowns and the what ifs, and you get a lot better traction. I just think people will trust you if you talk about the things that they don't expect. And again, that's all in the periphery if you, if you, is the way I look at it. Define everything that's out there in that gray matter, and I think you'll have a customer for life because they'll have trusted you that you've explained all the things that could have, should have, might have happened. And don't it's not a scary thing if you, again, tee it up in a, a polite, professional manner and explain back to you the way we started this conversation. What's the risk and reward to, to effectuate a successful project? Um, let me ask you something, and then maybe we'll spin it back on me. So, uh, do you guys have a proprietary contract? Because all this goes back to a contract, so mm -hmm. let's talk legalese for a second. Yes. Do you guys use a proprietary contract, or do you use like an AGC, consensus docs? We have, we have our own proprietary contracts, okay. and, so, and they're broken up differently. So, we have long form, we have short form, yep. we have commercial, we have residential, um, we have open book ones, we have GMP ones, and they're all variations, right, of our contract with the client. And then we even have a step further almost a modified design build or consultant because a lot of times the way we do it if a, a client comes to us in the beginning and says hey brad i want you to do my custom home okay that's great and i have a special design build agreement where we're working as a consultant for the first eight months working with the architect and designers we're vetting pricing setting it out making sure within budget because all the clients have a budget from the beginning they want to stay in so it's on us to vet that budget and make sure by the end of the day what's designed will fit their price range, right? right? But there's a cost from our side. I mean, that's eight months of work and meetings and appointments. And so what I typically do is I'll set a fee per project with the client of what that is that they will pay that covers our time for that eight months. And then when we're awarded the job and we start construction, we'll credit that you know, to our contract price. So it's just as a thank you, you know, once the contract does move forward, we will comp that. It just protects us if the project doesn't go forward or they go a different direction. Okay. How about what, you? Well, or we can touch on that. No, no, no. Let's, so, so then again, let, let me ask you the question now. <laughs> Excuse me. In your year, years of using that and modifying it, what's been the feedback? In other words, what's been good and bad about it? And how have you morphed into creating it more better? Uh, more better. Nice English. <laughs> um, you know, how have you morphed that to adapt to your customers' needs is my question. That's a great question. So our issue's always been where, you know, there's, there's gaps in that contract whether it lacks of communication, lacks of scope, mm. you know, mistakes we've made with whether it be insurance requirements of our subs, um, you know, from a, just all those little elements that go in. So as we learn on every project, and, and there's even been verbiage in there where some clients push back, like you have this, you say this, you talk about, you know, bonuses for your employees, which I don't know how that was in there. That was some standard AIA terminology here yeah. in Arizona that we had in there, so we took that out. So this is a continual 
draft, we have actually in-house counsel at our company, and so he's modifying our contract. And this is changing, and we've learned the hard way. For example, we've learned where um, we didn't really have clear terminology with change orders. We didn't have clear terminology with liquidated damages, with schedule. Um, And so a lot of those things have changed as we've had experience or felt through those pitfalls with our clients that now sets us up to be in a much better position from the front end. Right. Yeah, so how I, about you? I mean, uh, are you guys using a, a one boilerplate contract or is no, it a version of both? Much like you, you have to be flexible and nimble with the market. For instance, we just were on a project right now where the owner wanted their proprietary one that they had been using for years. And uh, naturally, we ran it by our council. At the end of the day, we worked it out. And I think that's why I wanted to frame this discussion is, is that there is no hard, steadfast rule. Okay, it, it's, I think it goes back to the way we started the conversation and the context of this is that work through it, communicate through it, find the win-win. Unlike some of my predecessors where it was very black and white in the contractual elements, I like to look for the win-win and go back to our potential client and even the A&E firms if they're involved and go, can we just find a win-win here? Because at the end of the day, this is just the, the, the kind of the glue that binds everything together. Um, but primarily, we're probably using AIA Similar here, documents. Similar here, yeah. And when you really look at, when you break it down and strip out all the legalities, if it was a fillable PDF, what are we really filling in? Maybe 30 lines? Yeah. Um, but you bring up some good points because you have to immerse that. You have some clients that may want a certain percentage for retention. Yes. Some that don't mind it. And the ones that do want retention, okay, well, let's figure something out that works. If we're doing a year and a half project, is it okay that, we, that we're holding retention on the concrete guy that did work a year earlier, right? Because that's his profit item. So there could be phases, you know, and milestones, if you will, that stipulate disbursements of that retainage. And so there's a lot of little things, whether they be deposits. And so similar to you, every contract, every client has different things that are important to them. And we have to make sure that our contract mirrors that. Um, you brought it up earlier. I think the biggest gap as it relates from contract to dissemination and understanding with the client is probably around some of the items like insurance. Um, if, heaven forbid, that something goes south, either through one party or other, that you haven't clearly discussed arbitration versus uh, litigation or mediation um, because that has become a bigger issue of late. Um, in our case, bonding is a big issue. So, you know, having surety property lined up in the contracts is important. Um, what think, about builder's risk? Are you guys typically we, providing that or is the customer? Yeah, uh, great question because I know how you guys, because uh, I still dabble in, in the residential remodeling and, you know, it gets a little different. On the commercial side, we're almost, I'd say 99%, we're doing general liability, of course, workers' comp and uh, builder's risk. And then because of our line of work, and I'm sure and you have to do yeah. it, we have umbrellas. And uh, because we do design build, we have professional liability as well. Um, because a lot, of time, well, a lot of times, well, a lot of times, a lot of times, the architect is working under our contract. Mm-hmm. So it's just so important. You're taking that risk. You're taking yeah. that exposure. But we disclose all that. Yeah. And we put that into both our line item estimates and our back to that narrative of fully explaining to the the customer that that is included. And here's why. Now, if and I'm you know, let's let's play the the, the flip side. Hey, Brad, I'm, I'm one of your clients now. I'll tell you what, I'll t- you don't need to do builder's risk. We'll take it out as a rider on our policy, which, you know, fine. Here's the forms and the affidavits to clear that up, but just make sure we're covered. 
right? Yeah. So Absolutely. So let me ask you a question. How are you handling deposits on the commercial side? Are you taking a deposit on every job? Is it a percentage? Is it uh, project-based? Um, it's a lot different than your industry because a lot of times the commercial lending that's underwriting what we're doing, we can't do that. Um, just, just the underwriting is a lot tighter. So, you know, like WIP or percentage completes, uh, just Very regulated. Yeah, it, it, it's a lot much more regulated because we might be have the decimal point over a, a few points difference than <laughs> you, than you. But, but generally, um, I'm very open. Whether they be mobilization or how yeah, you yeah. dictating that. No, gr great questions. I usually try to talk to the owner early on, talking about our cash flow. Um, and I'll get you brought it up. This is a great example. Retainage. Okay, ten percent on. $4 million over the course of 10 months. That's real huge, money. Huge dollars. Okay. So if you're going to keep 10% of my money, then you have to make sure that I'm in the positive on a cash flow basis. So we put that into the contract and again, clearly communicate how that's going to go down so that we can get our partners paid on time. And much like you, we build in clauses. So if the demo guy or the excavation guy you know, for them to wait a year to get paid their 10%, I mean, that's that's beyond their profit. That almost disqualifies that a lot of people from getting yep. the job, knowing yep. that. So I think the biggest advocacy we can do as a GC is, again, having that tough conversation early is, listen, I want you to have your protection, and retaining just fine, but let's build in trigger mechanisms that allow us to draw down on that so that we can take care of our people. Now, if you want me to act as your bank, then fine, you're going to pay more. Or we can we can handle this in an amiable situation and work or in an amicable situation and work it out where I'm not going to be your cash flow. You know your money is going to go directly to them. I'm not padding my pocket. A lot of times we'll have to do cash flow projections mm -hmm. and disclose those to the underwriters. I don't. I, I know on some of your bigger homes you have we to do, do that too mm -hmm. as well. And it's I think they appreciate that. And it, I'm not insulted by it. To me, if anything, it actually helps me understand my own cash flow by having to do it. So, again, working through those things, I think, is just, I think it makes for a better project for everyone. So how do you deal with, on a, getting back to that, just talking about dollars retention and getting back to the GMP, how, have you ever had experiences where you have things bid out and there's been material increases? Yes. We're seeing that now, yep. right? The tariff changes, prices are changing, labor's in cha you know, changing constantly. And I know some contractors right now are really leery about doing a GMP because it's so fluid. Everything's changing, it seems, daily. So how do you work that bridge with the client, you know, communicating on a GMP for the risk, even if a project's a year out? Well, there's a couple ways. First of all, we talk about it just like you do. And if the contingency bucket that we've set aside can cover for it, we'll use that. If not, if it's something uh, just profound, you know, like uh, I can't think of an example right now. But I, I can give you an idea of what we're doing. And, and okay, we'll go ahead. That's okay. So residential is a little bit different, but we, we do it for the same commercial. Now, keep in mind that my commercial projects are not the same scale as yours, right? Typically not big land development and other things. They're more TIs or vertical retail. Right. So a little bit different, very similar to residential in a way. And so one thing that we've found to be very successful is we'll sit down with our clients in the bank and we, going back to the deposit, you know, we will ask for a deposit, a substantial deposit. And what that does, that allows us to price lock all the front end stuff, really which varies, you know, framing, masonry, electrical, you know, roofing, grading, a lot of these things that were having labor issues that the cost is going up. 
And now with this deposit, I can go to the supplier, not to the subcontractor, that I don't know if he's going to be in business. I mean, he should yeah. be, but we all were there in the recession, right? And we saw these guys drop like flies. So what this allows is the customer has that trust in us that we're a known entity, and we can now contract our lumber supplier. We can contract joint checks. Yeah. Joint checks. Yeah. And so no, we do that we're too. taking that deposit yeah. money and we're buying the material, locking it in. We did the same thing with wood flooring. We knew that there were some tariffs coming. So we asked for some deposit money, not to the subcontractor for labor, but for the material. We're buying and we own that wood flooring. It's sitting in a storage facility, yep. air conditioned space, you know, that's now our product. So no matter who we use for install, we can go pick that up and it's there. So that has no, no, you, the price lock. I'm glad you brought that up. And I, I, I missed that in your initial question. Was, no, we do that all the time. Um, and Because it's hard. Like, it's really hard. The one challenge we have, as I'm sure you, when I bid something and the contractor or the, the client takes six months for approval or there's delays in permit, whatever it may be, and now it's a go. It's really hard at that GMP that was presented to kind of hold true on some of that pricing. But now, so we've covered, we've managed about 90% of the risk in this last five minutes of dialogue. And I think that's pretty common of the, of the good management in our industry. But now let's talk about when things go awry. Let's say we couldn't lock down early procurement, early delivery, early storage. Um, let's say there is something volatile out there. You know, then the, the, the $4 million question goes, what's fair? How do we go back? And typically what I'll do is, um, and again, this is typical, is, hey, owner, here's the deal. These are all the, the facts that led up to this. All I need to do is, uh, this is the delta that we're going to have to pay for. Just cover my tax liability on that, and the rest of it we'll just put into the project as a pass-through. That way, at least, you're only paying for exactly what it was, the delta to, to increase this. Again, it's and even in the contract, it's kind of covered under that whole mm -hmm. provisions of God yeah. thing. Right. You know, This is one of those examples. Which does happen. I yeah. mean, summer stuff comes from Houston. You know, Houston yeah. floods, yeah. and you can't get your drywall yeah. when the price, price goes up, right? So to me, I think that's a, a fair way of we're not marking it up. You know, as long as you cover the tax liability, I think that's a, a, a fair way of treating that situation when it does go awry. I've seen it turn into, you know, a fight, but I don't think it needs to, to go there. So. Yeah, and typically it has. I'm, I'm thinking back in my career, and, you know, in our all of our GMP scenarios, we've only had a couple instances. I think about two years ago, we had some huge lumber hikes hmm. when all that speculative tariff stuff was coming from Canada and all that lumber was coming yes. in. And we had one project that just the lumber package alone jumped 25 grand, Ouch. which was a huge number, right? And so fortunately, we had a great client. We talked about it. He, he was really big into the stock market and followed some of the policies going on. And it was really fair. You know, he ended up splitting that with us, and it was great. But we just went to him transparent and said, hey, we bid this. It's here when we're ordering it because we didn't have a deposit at that time. And that's where we've kind of changed our company that from two years ago to now we're asking for stronger deposits, which will allow us now to lock some of these things yep. in place for our clients. So I think the biggest thing is we're talking through this podcast for whether you're a client listening or whether you're a GC is understanding that on a cost plus scenario, the owners typically can take the risk. And it's the risk of every incident only goes in and you're gonna hope that you have a great contractor that's giving you good budgets, that's giving you a good idea of scope, even if it's not all defined. And then you're working through that process as you're going as you buy. Whereas a GMP, you know, it's the contractor's taking the risk. It gives the homeowner a little bit more comfort because they're not um, having to be involved on a daily basis with everything. They have a net price, they go to their bank, and then you know the contractor has the risk. So with the GMP and the cost plus, it's real important for the client to understand that sometimes you have a 
a client that really wants to be involved. And if they're gonna do a cost plus scenario, they need to be involved in every step, every selection of each trade, every pricing exercise, it's a lot more cumbersome for the client. But if the client's looking for a more seamless process where they have a trusted GC that's gonna do a great job for them, GMB, GMP is a great way to go. And with all this, JJ, I mean, we've just kind of touched the surface on both of these scenarios. And we want to talk about some middle ground or some hybrid because it's real important as a contractor, a client, that there's a hybrid here as we work through these two scenarios, as we're setting a GMP hybrid with allowances, especially on the back end, whether it be commercial or residential. So where can they find you, JJ? JJ at bluewave.com, spelled B-L-E-U-W-A-V-E. And on LinkedIn, just JJ Levinsky, L-E-V-E-N-S-K-E. And we'll put those again, his social media handles, we'll put those on the podcast. So thanks again, JJ. Can't thank you enough for joining us today. Love it. Thank you, Brad. Thank you all for tuning in to our discussion with JJ about Cost Plus and GMP. And next week on episode 10, we host Renee D from Iconic Life as we discuss marketing and how marketing has changed and how you can use the different tools that are out there to market your business, which is extremely important, especially in this day of age.